0: Episode 49. 1949 marked the first year that cortisone was used in the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. Raymond Floyd was the first golfer to win tournaments on both the PGA Tour and the former Seniors PGA Tour, and that happened at age 49. And 1949 also marked a mild recession in the United States. GDP fell 1.7%, unemployment reached 7.9%, and this lasted 11 months. Is that where we're heading now? Only time will tell beyond md episode 49 here we go hey everyone and welcome back to the beyond md podcast thank you for joining me for part two of my money mistakes I really appreciate the listeners who reached out to me after the first episode of My Money Mistakes, and it turns out that what people were most interested in hearing about was my road trip down the California coast. So that has motivated me to give a quick summary today. But if you reached out to me for details, I will certainly get in touch with you personally to give you all the details, but let me just talk briefly about the trip and what I learned. So we flew into San Francisco, and it took me about two hours to get over the chaos at the car rental center where we had to fork over five and a half thousand dollars for a fresh reservation i'm just thankful we drove out of that place with a car but one of the things that helped me get over that whole situation was a phenomenal pizza dinner at monte sacrosoma which is in the downtown core of san francisco i would highly recommend that now san francisco was very interesting i think a tale of two worlds because we were driving through the amazing landscape and i was just in awe at the rolling hills and the ocean And I told my wife, I was like, why do we live in Ontario when the West Coast is so nice? But then on the ground, it was quite a different story. So one morning, the kids and I were out for an early breakfast. We got sandwiches and donuts. And the gentleman in front of me, his bank card was not working. And then I saw him reaching into his pockets for change. He didn't have change. And so we were more than happy to help him with his meal. He was extremely grateful and this whole incident, it just showed me that the struggle out there is very real. There's a lot of people having a difficult time. It made me feel very grateful for what we have, and I think that the struggle, unfortunately, for some people is is only going to get worse. What's going on? So after San Francisco, we made our way down to Palo Alto. We have some really good friends there. So Marie Loop, who did business school with SEMA at Case Western, and her husband Gil Ecos. they are such wonderful hosts. We had an amazing evening with both of them and their children. Gil killed it with an amazing steak dinner, some of the best steak that I've had. And while we were in Palo Alto, I discovered this incredible coffee chain called Phil's Coffee. Ends with a Z. I walked in, I said, can I please have your drip coffee? And he said, bud, we've got 15 different types of drip coffee. He educated me on the best types of light roast, medium roast, and dark roast. I've traditionally been a medium to dark roast kind of guy, so I was so impressed with the coffee, I walked out with multiple bags. We came back home with so much coffee, it lasted us months, and then I found out that there are people getting stopped at the border because apparently coffee is a great way to transport drugs. If anyone is wondering, that's not why I bring coffee home. It was just phenomenal. After Palo Alto, we made it down to Carmel and Big Sur, Stayed at the most charming Airbnb in Carmel-by-the-Sea. If you're looking for a place to stay there, I will message you. I'll tell you exactly where to stay. Drove through Big Sur, the Bixby Bridge. We had an amazing lunch at this cliffside restaurant called Nepenthe. Apparently, their BLT shrimp sandwich is their go-to item there. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. We even saw humpback whales in the ocean. It was a truly magical experience. After Carmel and Big Sur, we went to the very underrated Paso Robles. Our wine tours were cancelled because there were flash flood warnings. But the food in that city was impeccable. So one night, it was a Wednesday, we were trying to go out for dinner, 30, first ones in line. The restaurant wouldn't accept us because we were booked solid the whole night. Some of the locals told us that you can walk into essentially any restaurant in the city and you'll be thoroughly impressed. And they were so spot on. So two nights later, I booked a reservation at that same restaurant we went to try to get into. It was called Buono Tavola, Italian restaurant. When we go to an Italian restaurant, my son Zain and I, we tackle a seafood linguine together. He takes the clams and mussels. He gives me the shrimp and scallops. It's a great team effort. That was some of the best Italian food that I've had. They also have a really cool spot in the middle of the city called Tin City, and you can try out your favorite wines. If you're looking for details, I will let you know. We drove from Paso Robles through Santa Barbara to L.A. to see some of Sima's family in Studio City. Really want to thank Jay Acharya and his wife Patricia Chang for just being such wonderful hosts. And the beauty of this part of the trip was that we got to stay with family and spend quality time with them. Rohan and Zion got to see their second cousins for the very first time. And guys, this is the beauty of it all. If you have close friends and family on a trip, make time to see them. And the quality time is spent when you're staying under the same roof. After LA, we went to our favorite city in North America, San Diego, and I had a chance to just relive old memories, have good food, and also see some of my fellowship staff and again, Just to have the chance to touch base with some people who helped me to get to where I am today was an incredibly rewarding feeling. So for all people out there, keep those connections going. Don't forget about the people who helped you get to where you are today. I know that I made a few social media posts after the first episode talking about the opportunity costs of the decisions that I made in the first episode. When you look at the opportunity cost, so that's what that money would have achieved had I spent it in a wiser way and let that money grow at around six and a half percent per year for 30 years, that opportunity cost was over $900,000. I did not intend to be dramatic with that statement, but I was just encouraging people to think more objectively about their financial decisions. So mistakes with money, part two, here we go. So number one for today's episode is incorporating too early. And I know by saying this, there are some people out there who are going to want to strangle me for saying this, but I truly do believe that I incorporated too early. So I started my first year of practice in 2016 in Calgary. I was earning a salary of $300,000 plus signing bonus I incorporated on day one. The way I went about it was not cost efficient. I had a tax lawyer and accountant all involved at the same time. My tax lawyer was working much faster than my accountant. My accountant came back and he said, I don't agree with this share structure for your corporation. Tell your tax lawyer to redraft all the documents So it was a very expensive process that first year, just on fees, I spent $10,000, which is insane. Like you should not spend more than $1,000 to incorporate. And then your personal and corporate accounting, hopefully you can get that done for around $5,000 max. Understanding that if you are pursuing some more advanced tax strategies, there will be a cost involved. But just to be mindful of this. So why do I think I incorporated too early? Well, remember in Calgary, we went ahead, we got very, very excited about jumping into the house hunt, and we bought a house right away. So essentially everything that went into the corporation came out right away. So you incorporate to defer tax. I wasn't deferring any tax. I was only incurring fees. So for me, for that reason, I incorporated way too early. So when I was moving to Ontario, the advice that I was given was I have a corporation open in Alberta, and to wind that down, I just need to not fund it for a certain amount of time, and then it essentially will wind down itself. That is reasonable advice, The thing is, though, I came to Ontario and I opened up another corporation. And then soon enough, I received a letter from the CRA saying that there was going to be an audit happening, have everything ready. So the taxman came about three weeks later and I had everything open on the dining table, just mountains of paperwork. It was a very, very stressful process. Zion, who was trying to nap upstairs, he was very, very young at the time. He wouldn't settle. And the taxman kind of laughed it off and said, that's what happens when the taxman comes to your house. Rohan came back from camp at Lund he opened the door he looked at the tax man he looked at me and he said papa who is that man? Why is he here? That in fact helped to ease some of the tension. So thank you, Rohan. But at the end of it all, we did not owe any more tax. There was just a bit of confusion related to the corporation in Calgary, the corporation in Ontario. So I think I incorporated too early because by doing so, I was not deferring any tax. And the main strategy behind incorporating is you want to defer tax so you have more money left over at the end of the day to invest and grow. So for people who are in that process of making the decision, do I incorporate? I think there are about five things you want to think about and again this is not advice these are just rough guidelines so number one are you going to be leaving any money behind in the corporation after all your living expenses after your fees if you're leaving a good chunk of money behind i think then directionally it makes a lot of sense for many doctors to incorporate point number two do you have a lot of existing student loans that is debt that you need to prioritize paying off And if that's going to get in the way, maybe delay the process of incorporating. Point number three, is your income stable or are you going to be locoming? Is there going to be uncertainty in your life? If you're not going to have stable income and therefore less chance of leaving significant money behind in the corporation, it may not make sense right away. Step number four, are you going to be buying a home or is that in the near horizon for you? Now, you don't need to buy a home. There's nothing wrong with rent. But for me, I bought the home right away. All the money that went into the corp flowed out into the down payment, so it didn't really make sense for me. And then step number five... Have you maximized or are you close to maximizing your registered accounts? Like I may challenge a few people on this. I don't think you have to have each and every one of your registered accounts maximized before incorporating, but you should be making good progress on this before pulling the trigger on creating a corporation. And the sad truth for me is that because I incorporated too early, I've been playing catch up with my registered accounts ever since. I talked about the TFSA and the RESP last time. The same applies to the RRSP. Okay, mistake number two and three are going to be related to mortgages. So mistake number two is going for a fixed rate mortgage when there was uncertainty in our lives. I really do believe that buying that home in Calgary was not the best decision because we didn't know how long we were going to be there. And I've talked about, sometimes I hear about trainees jumping into the house hunt, jumping into home ownership, and then they move cross country. Then you can't carry that home. For us, it didn't really make sense to buy that home in Calgary. We could have simplified our lives, rented and invested the remainder into the markets. Now, we went fixed mortgage because, number one, the reason for that, we had no education. And number two, we were looking at just the rate. The fixed rates were lower than the variable rate. But mortgages are so much more than that. So in that sense, it made no sense to go fixed. And what happened was, when we broke the mortgage to move to Ontario, we paid a fee of $8,000. So let me summarize the lessons behind my mortgage mistakes after talking about mistake number three, which was going variable in the pandemic. Now, I'm going to explain this in a lot more detail. So when we bought our home in Thornhill, that was in 2019 in June, we landed a fixed rate for three years at 2.94%. That's not too bad. But then rates went rock bottom in the pandemic. And then I thought maybe it makes sense to refinance and maybe we can make up the difference really quickly. So I talked to the banks, what I was being offered in 2021 January was 1.49% fixed for four years. I saw that people were getting even lower than that. I challenged the banks. They weren't getting back to me on fixed, but they said, what we can give you is prime minus 1.4 variable, which was 1.05% variable at the time. And so I thought about it. And from my perspective, I had very recently just broken two fixed rate mortgages, one in Calgary and one now to refinance the home in Thornhill. And I decided that I did not want to be in a position where I was going to be breaking another fixed rate mortgage. I was tired of it, I was tired of the fees. So I decided to go variable prime minus 1.4 for a mortgage rate of 1.05%. Now, trust me for 2021 and a good chunk of 2022, I paid off a lot of principal on our home, but then the rates started to rise really quickly. We didn't think that was going to happen. The language that was being used at the time was that interest rates were going to stay very low for a very long time, maybe into 2025. So when I look at this, this is probably one of the decisions that I beat myself up over the most because I've spent a lot of money paying off interest instead of principal. But when I dissect it all, the language that was being used at the time was that interest rates were going to stay low for a very long time, maybe even into 2025. And I was also coming fresh into this just breaking two fixed rate mortgages. And I was determined not to spend fees breaking another fixed rate mortgage, I wanted more flexibility in my life. So when I look at this, I used to be hard on myself, I'm not hard on myself anymore, and one of the things that helped me get over the hump was The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, which is for sure a top three finance book that I think everybody should read. And he talks about decision making early in that book, and he uses the example of investors who were in Japan and Germany, and they at times were not very keen on investing in the stock market. Why? Because their economies were wiped out after World War II. So when you look at it from that perspective, people in those countries, they weren't big fans of the stock market, but in North America, we've had an amazing run. So our experience, our background is that investing in the markets works. So the lesson here is that our decisions are also influenced by our experiences. So even though sometimes the result is not what you want... These decisions are not necessarily irrational. So the lessons that I have taken from this is that mortgages are really a balance between cost and flexibility. And the stats are that 70% of people in Canada at least will end up breaking their fixed rate mortgage. I have broken two and collectively between the two, I've paid $40,000 in fees I don't really want to do that again. I don't even know where my kids are going to be in school two years from now. So I'm happy to have the flexibility. But one of the things that I can control is I can pay off my mortgage faster. So what I do is I pay my mortgage and then I top up the payments by up to 50% per month just to pay off that principal faster. Now, this may not be the right decision for you. It's the right decision for me because it helps me pass the pillow test I sleep better at night. I'm probably a little bit more debt than most. So this is a decision that I made for myself and my family. But you have to understand your circumstances to figure out what's best for you. So the take home here is that if you have uncertainty in your life and you own a home, then it may make sense to go variable because if you have to move, then the costs to move are going to be much cheaper, paying three months of interest as opposed to breaking a fixed rate mortgage, which can be very hefty, sometimes up to 5% of the price of the property, which is just painful. But if you have certainty in your life and you feel like you're not going to move, then fixed may be the right option for you. It's only going to become clear when you sit down and take time to understand the path ahead. Okay, mistake number four, underestimating interest rates. And this applies to real estate investing. So in 2021, January, I made an investment in a pre-construction condo in Kitchener and Waterloo. I dissected the numbers, looked at the return on investment, which is made up of mortgage paydown, which I think is the most important, cash flow, and then price appreciation. So one thing I've learned over time is that relying too much on price appreciation is probably not a sound enough strategy because when things go down, it's harder to sleep at night. And interestingly right now, I don't know why prices aren't going down more. I think it has something to do with banks extending the amortization A lot of us benefit from this. I benefit from this, but I do feel bad for people who aren't in the housing market yet because they're not getting a true correction for prices to fall so that they can get in at a more reasonable price. Anyways, this is a discussion for another day. But in 2021, I dissected the numbers and it's crazy. So I thought that, okay, interest rates right now are about 1.25%. Maybe they will double. Maybe they'll go up to 3%. So my average rate will probably be two and a quarter, two and a half. I couldn't have been more wrong. And I was calculating my projections at those lower interest rates, which is nuts. What I should have been doing was that I should have been calculating my projections at least a stress test. And the truth is that interest rates on your mortgage heavily impact two sources of return. That is your mortgage paydown and that is your cash flow. So, one of my investments right now, that condominium in Kitchener-Waterloo, I have an amazing tenant, but with how high the interest rates are right now, like that is a very heavily cash-flowing negative property and I'm going to go into the details in another episode. Fortunately, one of my other properties in Kingston that is a much sounder investment from a cash flow perspective. So on any given month, it could be neutral. It could be a bit positive. But again, there's not much mortgage paydown happening right now. So there's a bit of short term pain. So again, give yourselves more room when you're calculating your projections. Just bump up the interest rates a few points. And similarly, when you are investing in the stock markets and you're projecting your returns, knock down a few percentage points so that you can plan properly for your retirement. A quick shout out to David Murphy, who's a mortgage specialist at CIBC. He told me as far back as the fall to start raising my interest rates to 6% on mortgages when calculating investment returns. And that was absolutely the right thing to do. And so right now, I'm paying 6.4% on the Kingston property. I'm paying 6.28% in Kitchener-Waterloo. It is just painful. But from the numbers, what I have kind of deduced is that once mortgage rates fall down to about 5% on the variable, which I expect they would in a year or two, I think that these will be very reasonable diversifying investments where there is a reasonable amount of mortgage paydown happening. So always give yourself more buffer room than you think. Mistake number five, buying a property without conducting my own home inspection. So this happened in fall 2022. I decided in 2022 that I was going to expand my real estate investment portfolio. That was the only thing on my mind. And so I had been talking to people about this We were getting really excited, maybe drinking a little bit too much of the real estate Kool-Aid and so found this investment opportunity in Kingston. My dad was there. I sent him to look at it. My dad doesn't really like things too easily, so the fact that he liked it, I had a good feeling about it. And anyway, so we got in touch with the realtor, made an offer. He sent me a long inspection report that the owners had done using their own company that happened three weeks ago. I went through that in excruciating detail, was satisfied with it, made an offer and boom, the rest is history. So then it turns out, got a property manager in place. They did a full run through the property. And then lo and behold, opened the crawl space. And my goodness, were there surprises. Surprises to the point that I was paying an extra twenty dollars to $25,000 out of pocket to fix things, to bring things up to par so that it would be a functioning property with less issues down the road. Some of the details I can't mention for insurance purposes later on, maybe I will go into it in a bit more detail But here's the thing, in fall 2022, there was a full on correction happening in real estate. There were not many offers going in on homes. So why the hell would I not do my own inspection on a property? I have no idea what happened. I have no idea why I rushed so much. Looking back, I think I was just too excited. I was too determined to pick up another property such that I bypassed the steps that I had put in place for myself to make a successful transaction. The rule here is that I should do the same thing for a rental property that I would do for my primary residence. I would never move into a house without doing a property inspection. Similarly, I should never purchase a rental property without doing my very own inspection. So safe to say, when property management went through the crawl spaces, there were some issues found, and it cost me just over $20,000 out of pocket. Now, I think I got a pretty good deal on the property, but nevertheless, I could have done things better. So don't deviate from your protocols. Do not drink the Kool-Aid. Do not rush. Stick to your plan. The other thing that I could have done better with this property is I wanted to hit the ground running. So I made the offer. I said, yeah, I want to close on this in like a month. I want to fill it up with tenants. I want to rent. I want that cash flow. What I should have done, had I, if I had a better understanding of the Kingston market, it's that late fall, winter, it's a dead zone, okay? Nobody's going to be moving into your property. So I should have delayed my closing until early 2023, done a few touch-ups, done a home inspection, done everything the right way, and then filled it up with tenants as things were picking up late winter, early spring you live and you learn. Mistake number six, delaying my will. These were conversations that were happening in 2018. The seed was planted, but I procrastinated like anything. And then five years later, I still did not have a will. In 2021, I did host Amanda Doucette on my podcast, and we talked about what you need to know about estate planning and wills. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. Hopefully it will plant the seed and motivate you start creating your will so this year in may i started the conversations we have everything in progress and i'm happy to say that i'm on my way because these are probably the most important decisions that we have to make maybe more important than anything else that i've talked about in this episode because if you're not protecting yourself if you're not protecting your loved ones what's the point of all this so deciding on what's going to happen to your assets who's going to look after your children. Who is going to make key financial and medical decisions for you? These are big, big decisions, really important topics that we all need an answer to. So I encourage everybody to not procrastinate. If you have not made your will, please go out and do so. Guys, I hope this summary of my financial errors to date has been useful. I hope it's been eye-opening for some please reach out to me. Let me know what you think. You can reach out to me at beyond at gmail.com or connect with me on social media, especially LinkedIn. And if you like the podcast, I would be so truly grateful if you can share this content with two people in your network until next time, guys, stay well, stay savvy.